Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. George Norrie with you along with Bill Solace, the founder of Prophecy Depot Ministries, a best-selling author. A couple of his books include The Now Prophecies, The Next Prophecies, The Last Prophecies. We'll go through a few others. He's an expert at explaining the prophetic relevance of current Middle East and world events. He's a conference speaker as well. People appreciate his unique insights and very sensible rather than sensational approach to understanding the Bible. And he allows prophecy to speak for itself rather than modernizing it into newspaper headlines. Bill, welcome back. George, it's great to be back on the program. Thanks for having me. What a time to come back, though, isn't it? My gosh. (laughs) That's surreal. Uh, Your last guest you talked about feels like we're going through the twilight zone. Well, yeah, it really does. And, you know, we are actually probably heading into a very severe time that the Bible has spoken a lot about. There's more said about biblical prophecy to a final generation than any other generation that's existed over the last 6,000 years of you know, human history. What exactly, Bill, is biblical prophecy? Biblical prophecy is invaluable. It's predictive information. It's outsourced to us from a loving God with 100% accuracy. There's no, no hit or miss on it. And it's got specific purposes. It's intended to authenticate God's sovereignty, one, and to equip us for the days in which we live, help us navigate through these times, prepare for them, and it spares lives and saves souls. Now, I'm going to kind of unpack that little one by one of those categories. It authenticates God's sovereignty. that He hangs his shingle in part on his ability to know the end from the beginning. And here's what he says, and I'm going to quote a passage in Isaiah 46, verses 9 and 10. He says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. So what he's doing is he's, he's laying the gauntlet out there saying, listen, all competitors that you know think that they are a god or a false god, mm-hmm. you declare the end from the beginning because I'm the only one that can, he's saying, I'm the only one that can do that. Now, the, the Bible is about 31,000 verses, and J. Barton Payne, who wrote the Encyclopedia of Bible Prophecy, says about 26.8% of that is devoted toward predictive information. And that would be about 9,000 verses. Now, many of those, thousands of those verses have found fulfillment exactly and precisely as specified to the detail. But we have uh, at least 100 or more prophecies that remain unfulfilled. So we anticipate, of course, they would be fulfilled to the details that were given precisely as well. Now, the thing about sparing lives with biblical prophecy is very important because we have some examples. We go back in history. We look at the time of Noah. He was given advanced information, prophecy about a coming worldwide flood, and that was invaluable for him because he prepared the ark. You know the story. You sure, it saved him. It saved him, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And also another example, and I can go through numerous ones of these. I'll just give you one more. Uh, Joseph, during the time of Pharaoh, he was given insight that there would be seven years of famine coming. But he had good news that there'd be seven years of plenty to prepare for that famine. So he did, and he they stored up all kinds of grain and wheat in Egypt. And when the famine came, uh, Egypt survived. And then even his posterity, his family, Jacob, his father, who's in the land of Canaan now, of course, that became called Israel subsequently, and Jacob was actually renamed Israel. He had 12 sons. Joseph was one. The famine hit them, too. And they had to come over to Egypt, and the 11 brothers with their father, Jacob, 
and Joseph was there to be able to help them as well. So, you know, this is the other thing, and then it saves souls, and it's another way of evangelism, especially in these times. So I came to know Jesus Christ and become a believer after a sojourning for truth. I was a, I studied Hinduism. I was a Kriya yogi. I, I, I finally realized I couldn't get, I couldn't become a god like they teach and get Christ consciousness. That was just not realistic. And and I gave up on God, thinking there would be a God, etc. But I was attending a Bible study taught by Chuck Missler, who's since passed away, a great Bible prophecy. Oh, he was one of the best, wasn't he? He was, and he was teaching on the book of Revelation. And I, it dawned on me after attending about four of his services that, you know, this God is real. He knows the end from the beginning. So that's it's interesting, because that's sort of where I shot off into, interested in Bible prophecy. And here I am right now talking about it on Coast to Coast. So it does save lives, spare lives and save souls as well. I was going to say, Bill, is Bible prophecy a good thing or a bad thing? Well, uh, I would say it's a tremendously good thing. You know, we have, there's three views we should look at when we go through and experience these major events, especially like what we're going through right now. There's a secular worldview, there's a biblical narrative, and there's a prophetic perspective. And we should not deprive ourselves of any one of those three. But unfortunately, most of the secular mindset, they don't understand the biblical narrative or the prophetic perspective. The second world, the secular worldview is important as long as it's being reported unbiasedly because it provides us with important details that are taking place on the ground in our world at the time. And as important as that is, though, it can't really apprise us of any final outcomes. You know, we get these military analysts, these these political pundits on, and, and they the, the ask questions about where do you think this is headed, which is ultimately the concerns of each individual. How's this going to affect me? How's this going to lay out? How's this coronavirus going to end? And plus their souls, they're not equipped to give that kind of an answer because they just don't know. So then we have this prophetic perspective, which allows us to step outside of the forest to see the trees, and it informs us of how the future is going to unfold. It helps us to prepare ahead of time for the you know the world-changing events and the consequences of those events. And the biblical narrative is equally as important because it provides us with the appropriate behavioral codes of conduct that we should apply as we experience the powerful events unfold, these things that affect our lives. You know, what is the righteous thing we should do and behave among uh, civilly among our you know fellow humans? You know, the old traditional, what would Jesus do kind of thing. So, you know, we, I encourage people in these times not to just hang their hat on the secular worldview, especially if they're a Christian. They've got the biblical narrative and the prophetic perspective available to them. Now, the coronavirus, which everybody is talking about right now, Bill, was that kind of pointed out in the Bible in some way? Because it did talk about plagues and pestilences and things like that. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's interesting because I think this particular uh, plague would qualify for the pestilences that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 24. You know, his apostles came to him, and this is what's called the Olivet Discourse, and they asked him what would be the sign of his coming in the end of the age. And he, he started to lay out this whole discourse of, of time sequences of events. And he started talking about a time would come just before what's called this tribulation period. We have this final seven years, this, this earth has an expiration date as we know it, where God will actually pour his wrath out on a Christ-rejecting humanity, a sinful, wicked humanity. But it said a time would come when nation would rise against nation, and we would look back at that and translate that as likely saying that would be World War One, World War Two. World War One happened and prepared the land of Israel for the return of the Jews. World War Two happened, it prepared the Jews to actually return to Israel, and they they did in 1948. 
that became uh, reborn as a nation at that time, May 14th. See, I think that's when the clock started, 1948. That's what I think. I think the world hourglass took a final spin at that time, and the end times, if you will, the last days really started at that time. Now, that was 72 years ago, and we're racing towards a lot of major events that you know are just state-setting to happen. There's really no national relationship that's not formed, no technology that's not developed, no weapon that's not been fashioned that wasn't spoken about in the Bible that could fulfill each and every one of the last day's prophecies. But he went on to say, uh, nation would rise against nation, world wars, kingdom against kingdom. So now we get into regional conflicts, and that's, of course, happened in the Middle East since Israel became a nation again, the 1948, 1967, 1973, Arab-Israeli wars, more to come. And 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 there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places and he said, all these are just the beginning of sorrows. Now, we've been experiencing you know, locust in- invasions going on in Africa. Oh, my God, by the billions. That's right. And in the Middle East, even moving over toward Asia, pestilences. And this is as bad as a pestilence or plague as we've seen ever since the bubonic plague. I mean, this thing is unbelievable. And he said earthquakes in various places. And those things have been increasing exponentially in intensity. And he says in various or diverse places, they're all over the world. So he said these are the beginning of sorrows. In other words, this is bad, this is a downward slide, and then we get plunged into, and then in the next verse he says, then they will deliver you up to the tribulation period. So, you know, the question is, the $50 million question is, where are we at? Are we in this beginning of sorrows period? He also called it birth pangs. And the reason birth pangs are an important analogy is because what he's alluding to is the, the fulfillment of biblical prophecies, one falling, coming upon the other in like a, a vacuum. And a woman, when she's giving birth, as she comes closer to, get, to bearing the child, her, her contractions become more intense and they become more frequent and you can't stop them. So the analogy is when the end times prophecies start to happen, they start to happen rapidly, they become more intense, they become mm-hmm. more frequent, and you won't be able to hold them back. Uh-huh. And the world will change. So... There's a coming a time where people will look back on the days of the, the COVID-19 and say, gee, I wish wish we had those days again because it's, it's going to get worse and worse in what's called this tribulation period. And ultimately, I, I think the COVID-19, the coronavirus, is setting us up. It's, it's going to start to plunge us into what's ultimately going to be a global one-world order. It's going to have a cashless society. This is all predicted in Bible prophecies. It's going to be ruled by a charismatic world leader who's a totalitarian dictator called the Antichrist. He actually is going to think he's God. He's going to call himself God. He's going to force people to worship him. And people will will worship him. They'll believe it, won't they? Well, they will, and, and they won't be able to participate in his global economy unless they do believe in him. And as a reward to that, they will be given a mark upon their right hand or upon their forehead, which is, I believe, is a technology that exists today. Uh, you know, the cryptocurrencies, the blockchain. Scenario, we or or chips, implanted chips, maybe. That's right. So, you know, this technology already exists, you know, today. And and uh, it says that at this point, in time, you know, the thing that's going to be interesting, and this is all in Revelation 13, it says that something happens to him. He hit, gets a mortal head wound, this political leader, who comes out of, we're told, the revived Roman Empire. And he resurrects, and it looks like a genuine resurrection. And that's that's the super sign. It's always been the super sign. When the Jews asked Jesus, "Give them a sign," he said, "He said, listen, I'm going to, like Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days. You know, I'm going to be the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days. Well, you know, the resurrection when he's resurrected, that was the sign. He said, you guys needed to see. Well, this resurrection of the Antichrist 
Satan's going to counterfeit that. He knows that's the important sign, and the world's going to. It says that the whole world will marvel and say, "Who can come against the beast?" And they will start to follow him, and they will do it volitionally. But the world will be under such chaos at that time because judgments will be going on in that period of time. He comes. He comes in front and center in the tribulation, but his heyday is really in the middle part, uh, three and a half years into the seven-year tribulation, and he he has his kingdom going on with his cashless society predominantly in the second three and a half years of that time frame. And, uh, you know, and if you want to, there's going to be images made to this guy. They're going to be required to worship. Now, what is that image? Is that a hologram? You know, what, what sort of thing? And if you don't worship him, you he'll behead you. He says he beheads Christian to then take the mark of the beast. And, I mean, it gets really bad really fast when this stuff starts to happen. But So right now, the question is, how close are we to that? That's the $50 million question. So, there are things we know are going to happen, and we just don't. There's some things that we just don't know, like what is going to be the outcome of this coronavirus and that sort of thing. Right. What is the seven-year tribulation, Bill? The seven-year tribulation, which is also referred to as Daniel's seventieth week, is a period of time where God is basically ex- executing His judgments on man. There's a series of twenty-one judgments, and and this is in the Book of Revelation. Which, by the way, the word for revelation is apocalypse. It's the Greek word apokalypso. Uh, excuse me, Apocalypsis. So that's the revelation, the unveiling that God gave to Jesus Christ through an angel that was uh, signified, and John was giving that, his servant John is giving that to us in the book of Revelation. So we turn our attention to that book, and we find there's seal judgments, there's seven of those, they segue into seven trumpet judgments. Each of these judgments start to get progressively worse, and there's seven bowl judgments. And as these things go on, men become more and more who don't believe in God, they become more and more against God, more blasphemous toward God. And and the judgments mm. don't cause repentance among most of those men. That actually makes them worse. And it takes seven years to get to this point? It's a progression. It goes through, you know, and it's very well defined, probably the most defined time-wise in all of the Bible. It's broken down into uh, the first half, 42 months, 1260 days, times, times and a half times, you know, times one year, time one year, times two years, half a time, a half a year. And that's in the first half. It also talks about those same increments of time into the second half. So we have two three-and-a-half-year segments broken up in the midpoint with all kinds of stuff going on in the midpoint. And then you have the second half, which is called the Great Tribulation. It's called the Great Tribulation because it's worse than the first half. Um, but we're not in that right now. That that all commences when the Antichrist confirms a covenant between Israel and some other parties. So those seven years haven't started yet, you're saying? No. Okay. No. And and um, people who believe in a pre-trib rapture, which I do, when Jesus comes and catches his bride up, called the church, up into the clouds to be with him forever in heaven, uh, they won't, they're not appointed to the wrath that God's going to pour out on humanity, which is an, an urgent call for people who don't know Jesus in these times to certainly give him a, uh, you know, a real look, look-see, because he's the real deal, and he is coming for those who believe in him to keep them from this hour of trial. Isn't this interesting that uh, this is all happening around Easter, the resurrection? Does that have anything to do with it? Well, you know, it's it's highly symbolic. Uh, Passover also in Israel. You know, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't necessarily pin the tail on that timing, but uh, it is the time he resurrected, and you know, this is what we're commemorating. And so, um, you know, there may be some connections there, but 
regardless, it's a, certainly a time to be concerned about. And, and you know, the world is going to be different after this. It's, it's just like you know, after World War II, uh, that particular crisis, there was the current Tax Payment Act of 1943 that initiated withholds. And it was supposed to be a temporary thing to fund the war, but it never went away. Withholds are still with us, right? Okay, look at 911. Oh, yeah. That crisis created TSA restrictions that have become permanent. It's not the same as the coronavirus from a secular perspective, at the very least, is going to create a nation of America that will predominantly become more germaphobes. There'll be a whole lot less handshakes. Even Trump suggested Americans should consider giving up the tradition of greeting each other with a handshake, so there'll be more fist bumps and elbow bumps, mm-hmm. plexiglass with sneed guards at the grocery stores. Uh, there's a whole new consumer mindset with social behaviors, spending habits. You were talking about this in the last hour, that all the online shopping that's going on now with people Oh, my God, yeah. Who never even knew how to do that, but now they're kind of forced to. I don't think retail will bounce back, Bill, to to where it used to be. I just don't, I don't see it so happening. And home workstations, look at all the people now learning how to work from home. Employers will be able to cut costs. Brick-and-mortar stores are starting to probably start to go by the wayside. Uh, retail strip centers. I, I, I'm not getting a real positive outlook for commercial real estate. But you know what's amazing to me, George, is the resiliency of the American investor. I mean, the stock market. Oh, the American person, the the American mind is so unbelievably strong. I think we're going to get through this, Bill. My my guess is, and I mean, retail may change. There'll still be sales, but they may be online. Um, you know, and something else may be done with the retail uh, real estate. Who knows? Well, the virtual reality is becoming the new reality. And and that's uh, online doctor consultations. The list goes on. You know, my wife's birthday was recently, and she we threw a party for her. And what we did is we put all of our family and all of her friends on this group Facebook chat. She'd never done that before. And, Jeez. You know, yeah. there you go. It's like, you know, so she's learning how to shop online, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but that's okay. You know, <laughs> that's what this it, it gets for, delivered right? to your doorstep, and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Yeah, so, but I mean, that's where we're at right now. But we've got to remember this, too, on a real sober note, is that this is day 28 since Trump declared the coronavirus a pandemic on March 13th, you know, 2020. And for presently, you know, day 28 is, is day over for some young unemployed dad and mom with an with yeah, infant you're right. and no parental support system. You know, just a few months ago, they had high hopes, but now they're living in despair, wondering how they're going to provide and this, hap- this scenario is happening in the USA and around the globe. So it's a very, very serious situation. Absolutely. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.